0: Alrighty, church. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open those up to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14 this week. Last week, we looked at a few of the tail end verses of Ecclesiastes chapter six, and in those verses, we talked about the nature of humanity and how that nature had been established long ago, all the way back into the Garden of Eden. And we took a look at Genesis one and two and three. Uh, we looked at several passages from those three chapters. And in those passages, we saw first off that man and woman were made in the image of God. Genesis 2 says that Adam was made from the dust of the ground with the breath of life breathed into him by God. Eve was made from the rib of Adam so that Adam would have a helper and so that he would not be alone in the garden. And then the Lord looked at them both and charged them with filling the earth and subduing it. Right? And life was perfect for a while. They had a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had a perfect relationship with the creation. Right? So they could work the ground and it would easily give up its fruit and its crops. Uh, and then we talked about how sin entered the world in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and how that ruined everything. Everything was broken from that point forward. Sin broke humanity's relationship with God. It broke our relationship with one another. And it broke our relationship with creation. God cursed the earth and he kept his promise that one day Adam and Eve would die uh, for choosing rebellion against and over his worship. And from that point on, the overarching nature of humanity is sinful and broken. And I mentioned how the Scriptures from there on out consistently refer to us as dust and, surprise, surprise, being dust is not a compliment. Right? So being dust in the Scriptures is synonymous with failure. It's synonymous with weakness. It's synonymous with limitations. And Solomon points all this out in the closing verses of chapter 6 so that we will hopefully... Consider our limitations. We will see how limited we really are. We have a limited scope. We can only think about so much. We can only know so much. We can only do so much. And so Solomon wants us to see that we are limited people and that there is one outside of us that is greater that we need to be in relationship with and that person is the Lord. And that's on our own. We're we're mess. We're dust. So it's important that we are in a relationship with one who knows what's good for us right scriptures say that we think we know what's right but often that leads to death and condemnation right it's important for us to be in relationship with one who knows what will happen in the world long after we're dead and gone and that's where we left it at the end of chapter 6 now I said at the beginning of the sermon last week uh, that I had trouble figuring out where to put those last three verses because they just didn't seem to fit with the the part of chapter 5 that we had looked at and most of chapter 6, uh, and nor did it seem to fit as well with what we're going to be looking at this morning because chapter 7 is going to begin with several Proverbs, and I just couldn't see the tie-in uh, between those chapters. But now that I've studied chapter 7 a little more closely, I do see a little bit of a tie-in in the tail end of the chapter six than I saw last week. I mean, it's definitely not what I would call a smooth transition. Right? When, I, when I try to transition from one subject to another, I try to make that flow real easy in from one to the, the next. And this is a hard turn, real quick, into uh, what we see as death and wisdom throughout these Proverbs. right. Chapter six closes with who can tell anyone what will happen after him under the sun. So who knows what will happen after they die? And then in chapter seven, it's like Solomon goes, oh, speaking of death, I've got some things to say. And he goes in and starts talking about some proverbs about death. And he throws in some proverbs about wisdom as well. And then he proceeds to list out 14 verses of lines like you would find in the book of Proverbs. Right. Verses one to four focus on our mortality. Right. A lot of better than this is better than that. This is better than that. Uh, verses five to 14 have some random advice on how we should live with wisdom. And so we're going to open up with a word of prayer before we get into the scriptures. And then we're going to take a look at this hodgepodge of of texts of, of wisdom that Solomon's going to give us. So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the, the word today. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful that it is sufficient for us to have relationship with you and that it points us to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm grateful that it is authoritative and that if we will live our life the way you tell us to in the Scriptures, Lord, we will have uh, ultimate peace and rest and comfort because we are bringing you glory in how we live. So as we look at... Solomon's wisdom uh, regarding death and other aspects of how we live our lives. I pray that our eyes would be open to see, our ears would be open to hear, and our heart would be receptive to what you have to say to us here today, in your Son's precious name. That I pray, Amen. All right, beginning in verses one to four in Ecclesiastes seven, it says this: A good name. Is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind. And the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in in a house of pleasure." And so in these verses, in these four verses, we have three important truths about what death shows us. The first thing that we need to take from this is that, number one, your reputation matters. Your reputation matters. Solomon says, a good name is better than fine perfume. So it doesn't matter how much money you have or how expensive the stuff you you have that you've been able to purchase throughout your life if you have tarnished your name in the process of acquiring all that stuff you don't really have anything that matters. Right? You can have the biggest house you can have the nicest car or cars you can have all sorts of cool gadgets I mean, whatever your thing is, you may go on uh, the, these sweet vacations that are all over the world and you can post all this to your Instagram account and have everybody fawning over how cool your life is. Right? You can have the best food, you can have the best wine, you can have the best of everything this life has to offer, but in the end, so what? Who cares? Literally, anyone with money can have all of that. You can build your wealth up from, from the ground up. You can claw and scratch to gain everything that you have. Right Then you spend all of that money on stuff and on acquiring power and enjoying pleasure. And you might think that you're really someone special because you've done all that and you can do all of that because of the wealth that you have. But at the end of the day, someone that's won the lottery can do all of that too. Right? pick the right numbers, to ching all of a sudden your life has completely changed, and they can do all the things that you're able to do because they have the same money that you have. Or, let's say the person uh, that inherits that money from you one day can enjoy all the things that you have worked so hard for, that you have scrapped and scraped to get. Or, someone with a pretty face and the ability to pretend to be someone else for a movie can have all that stuff that you have. Or someone who was born with a little God-given talent at playing with a ball can have all of that. It's not special. It doesn't make you someone who cares that you have all that money and you have all of that stuff and the ability to do all those things. At the end of your life, very few people are going to be impressed with how much money you have or how much stuff you have. No one's going to care. Unless maybe they're the ones inheriting all that. They may care but nobody else cares what's going to matter in the end is the type of person who you that you were throughout the the rest of your life not what you bought but who you were Solomon says that the day you die is better than the day you were born and that should sound odd to us right we shouldn't Think about the day of our death being better than our birth, right? We celebrate birthdays, not death days. So that should sound strange. Why would he say that? Well, the first day of your life, it's really sweet. It's really exciting. It's a moment that should be cherished by family and friends. A dad gets clapped on the back and congratulated for the new son or daughter that has been brought into the world. A mom gets told, "Oh, oh, he or she is so cute. So precious. Everyone sits around and tries to figure out, does he look like mom or does he look like dad? At the end of the day of your birth, you have so much potential. No one knows what your life is going to turn out like. So much potential. But at the end of your life, everyone will reflect on what you did with that potential. So how did you live your life? Right? Did you... Take into consideration Matthew 22 verses 34 to 40 which is where Jesus says that the two greatest commandments is in the entire law of God is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How did you do with that? everything was said in the that was said in the law and the prophet's hangs on these two commands how did you do that following these two commands what will people say about you at your funeral are they going to have to lie about the type of person you are you know no one wants to speak ill of the dead right someone at that funeral is grieving someone is missing you in some way shape or form and so nobody wants to say bad things about you at your death so are they going to have to lie about who you were as a person or will they be able to speak from the heart about how amazing you turned out to be about how you took all that potential that you had at your birth and you loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You gave it everything that you had. And because of that, it spilled over into the lives of everyone around you, this love of God and love for people. The day of your death is much more important than the day of your birth because it shows us what you did with the potential that God gave you. What you have done with your life will determine how people think about you when you're gone. The second thing that we see there in these verses is that we're all going to die eventually. Right? Ecclesiastes is just like a big warm hug. right? It's constantly putting before us our mortality. We're all going to die eventually, and that is something that those left behind need to take to heart. In verse 2, Solomon says that it's better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. Again, would you rather go to a party or a funeral? I mean, I think everyone would say a party, yes. Right, we would much rather go to that birthday celebration than to a funeral, than go to a graveside. I think we would all say that. Why would he say that it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting? And he says, because we're all going to experience death at some point in our future, and we should be thinking about that as we live our lives. Right? Hebrews 9:27 says, that it is appointed for us to die. And after that comes judgment. We are going to be judged after we die for the life that we have lived. With this reality hanging over our heads, it should influence how we choose to live our life. We don't earn salvation through, through living well. Salvation only comes as a free gift through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But, on the other side of salvation, we should be living as though we understand the gift that we have been given and we should live out of the joy that we have in that. We should be generous out of all the generosity that God has shown to us. And at the end of our life, do we intend to stand before the holy, righteous judge on our own merit? And we've talked about that throughout Ecclesiastes, saying, this is the best I have to offer you, and it's a soiled garment. On our best day, a dirty diaper. God, that's all I've got for you. It's the best I can give you. Do we want to stand before God at that judgment in our own merit, or do we want to present the righteousness of Christ? Where we understand that we are sinful, broken people. That we are dust. And we understand that outside of a relationship with Christ, we are facing condemnation. We're facing judgment. We're facing eternity separated from God in a place called hell. When we go to a funeral, we are confronted with these realities. Right When we see the body of someone that we care about, someone that we knew... And we realize that our time on earth is limited. This is how we process through, how we should be processing through these things. We can often forget the realities of life when we're going through nothing but good times, going to nothing but parties, enjoying ourselves. We can often forget the realities of what is coming down the pipe for everyone in this life, which is the last day of our life. Solomon says that how we live is important. And our remembrance of that. Do we want to hear from Jesus what he said in Matthew 25, 23, which is well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Or do we want to hear Jesus say something like this from Matthew 7, 21-23, which says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophecy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name, and then I will pronounce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. When we go to a funeral it puts this before us. We have to be considerate of these things. We can often get lost in the parties and the pleasure, and God will use pain to help get our attention and remind us of the realities of this life. The last thing that we see here is that sadness refines us more than happiness. Solomon says in verse 3 that grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. And again, this is counterintuitive to us. We don't want to be grieved. We want to experience laughter. We want to experience happiness and joy. But the the idea here is that we learn more from hardship than we do from happiness. That we're changed more from difficulties than we are from ease. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, think about people who work out. Right? These people with massive arms and massive legs and a huge chest. Right, Those who do difficult workouts, those who push their bodies beyond what they have previously been able to accomplish, they see returns in things like weight loss, increased muscle, increased strength. But they had to do the hard stuff in order to get that. You don't get to be massively big by lifting little tiny five-pound weights. You don't lose weight by walking you know, just from here, the couch to the refrigerator. Right? You've got to, put some, got to put some work in. It's hard. It's difficult. And if you want to become stronger emotionally and spiritually, then you're going to have to go through some stuff. I don't know if you've ever prayed that. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me patience. Lord, give me uh, peace. Well, oftentimes when those things happen, when I want patience, my kids go crazy. How can you learn to be patient without life going off the rails? Lord, give me strength. Well, when He does that, He's going to break me down somehow so that He can build me back up to be stronger than I was before. Lord, help me see the truth in your word. Sometimes to have truth in the word of God, we have to see the world fall apart and then still see the strength and comfort of His church, still see the strength and comfort of our Savior. Everything has to fall out from underneath us before we can come to the realization that these things are true. And when we do see it, then our faith is strengthened. And you may say, I don't want to be stronger emotionally and spiritually. So can I skip the hard stuff? Right? This is the, the spiritual version of skipping leg day right at the gym. Right? Can I skip the hard stuff? And unfortunately, the answer is no. It, you can't. There is no skipping the hard stuff while we live in a sin-cursed world. The hard stuff is coming whether we like it or not. Remember, I've, I've said this, and it is a very... Um, negative way to look at life, but you, you can look at it this way, right? You're either going into the storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm, preparing to go into another storm. That's this life, right? That is, that is the negative side of it, but that is life. That is what we live in, in a broken world. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we should find joy in the knowledge that all the hard stuff that we experience in this life is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in the next life. And he also says that we should take heart in going through all of this hardship our hardship, because everything that we face in this life is shaping us into the image of Christ. Uh, those difficulties that, that we don't want to face are are sanding us off into the image of Jesus. We may not want that hardship to come our way, but when it does, it is always for our good. It may not be a good thing, but it is always used for our good. And then we see in verse 4 that it acts as a transition verse to move from these realities of death to the need for wisdom in the living. Solomon said, The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. And Previously, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon has pointed out that wisdom is ultimately useless in the grand scheme of things. It's ultimately useless because the wise person is going to go into the grave just like the fool. All, right? All the wisdom in the world cannot prevent you from experiencing death But practically in life, like as we are going through this life, it is better to be wise than to be the fool. Right? Life is so much easier for the wise. And we know and understand how we should live and how things are designed by God to be and we live our life out in that way. Life goes so much easier. The foolish people of the world are constantly taking the hard path. Right? They're constantly pushing against the God of the universe who is not going to budge. They're constantly busting their head on the same things over and over and over again. They constantly experience self-inflicted difficulties because they keep their focus on the wrong things. They think, I want my pleasure. I want my joy. I want my way. And every time we pursue that, we wind up getting ourselves in trouble. Solomon, again, is here saying that the wise keep their focus on ultimate things. Right, Death is a certainty and the enjoyment that comes uh, from a party or a feast is always temporary. It's always temporary. Fun for a little while, but eventually the party is going to end. Living for such things is foolish because it's going to stop it's going to slip through our fingers there's nothing about that that is tangible that we can take away into eternity so when the end comes as it will inevitably do the fool will find that their life has been empty the one that lives for the parties that lives for the pleasure that lives for the money the power the prestige the fool is going to find that ultimately their life has been the vanity of vanities they've been pursuing wind There will be nothing of substance to show for their time under the sun. And then in the rest of this passage, we find more wisdom topics that moves from one subject to the other. And I'm just going to kind of breeze by these because, I mean, I could make a sermon out of each one of these. We're not going to do that. Uh, But verses 5 to 14, Solomon gives us these wise words. Beginning in verse 5, it says, It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the Song of Fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Don't say, why were the former days better than these, since it's not wise of you to ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun, because wisdom is protection and silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. So here we see verses 5 and 6. It talks about the difference between a wise rebuke and the laughter of fools. Solomon says it's better to be rebuked by a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. So you may have people in your life, some some fools, who will sing your praises. But again, what good is that? You've got a bunch of idiots that run around doing stupid things and they think you're super cool because you're doing stupid things. What's the point of that? When we mess up, we should want someone that is wise, looking out for us, someone who loves us enough to lovingly confront our error, right? Because, let's be honest, the laughter and praise of fools, in the moment it feels better, right? Like It feels better, but that is going to disappear just as soon as you stop amusing them. Just as soon as you stop being on their team and doing the stupid things that they do, they're going to turn their back on you. The effect, though, of a loving rebuke. Someone that loves Jesus and loves you and says, listen, buddy, this is not the way that you should live. You should pursue after righteousness. You should pursue after everything that God wants for you. That could last a lifetime, potentially an eternity, depending on what it does to your character, depending on if you are willing to listen to the loving rebuke. Verse 7 says that extortion and bribery turn a wise person into a fool. And I hope in this group it is unnecessary for me to tell you that extorting money from people and accepting bribes is sinful behavior. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. Don't take money from people and don't take bribes. Be honorable. Verse 8 speaks to us about the difference between patience and pride. It says the end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. So it's best to wait and see how something turns out than to brag about it before it's over. Patience is always better than pride. It's always better for you to kind of hold back that, hey, you know, my team's going to beat your team or I'm going to make more money than you this year or whatever it may be, whatever you may be getting pride in, it's better to wait until the end to see how you actually do than it is to boast, be puffed up with pride. Pride always goes before a fall. And so it's better to wait instead of being proud. Verse 9 speaks to us about anger says don't let your spirit rush to be angry for anger abides in the heart of fools James will tell us in chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 of his book he says my dear brothers and sisters understand this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness Paul likewise will say in Ephesians 4 verse 26 and 27 be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity uh, to get in between you and the person you're angry with. Right? Anger is not sinful. Right? Righteous anger is where we get upset about the things that God gets upset about. Right? That is holy and righteous. The problem is we rarely ever stay in that righteous anger. It almost always boils over into our desire for our own justice our desire for our own type of control our own type of peace and so when what solomon is saying here is don't rush into anger right self-control is important now we can do a lot of damage to our relationships we can do a lot of damage when we are foolish and run into something Guns blazing, arms swinging, ready to fight. We can do a lot of damage. And so Solomon is saying, cool your jets. Right? It's okay to be angry when someone has sinned against you. But don't rush into that anger. Don't do anything out of that anger. Let it calm down to the point where you can make rational decisions again before you do anything from that anger. Verse 10 tells us it's not wise to long for the past. You know people that talk about the good old days? That's all they ever do is talk about the good old days? Were they actually the good old days? I mean, that's a matter of opinion, isn't it? We have no way of knowing for sure if they were better. Simpler, probably, but better, not necessarily. Those days are gone, and they're not coming back. And we should definitely not forget our past, but if we are living in the past, then what we're going to find is the future and the present continue to move beyond us. The world keeps moving forward and if we don't want to be left behind, we cannot constantly be looking backward. This longing that we have for something other than what God has given us is sinful. It creates discontentment in our heart. It makes us difficult to deal with. And so we have to be mindful that this is the present. This is what I have to deal with. It doesn't matter what it was like 50 years ago. Here's today. Let's do what God has given us today and move forward into the future based on that. Verses 11 and 12 tells us that wisdom is as good as money from an inheritance, and it's an advantage to people in this life. Wealth can protect you. There's no doubt about that. There's cushion, there's padding, there's the ability to get out of trouble if you have wealth. But wisdom and knowledge can have that same power. It can keep you from getting into trouble in the first place. Wealth can be taken away, wisdom cannot. Verse 13 reminds us of God's power in our weakness. It says, No one can straighten what God has made crooked. So listen, you need to be careful when you come across people who act like they are the solution to all of life's problems. Right? I'm, first thing that popped into my head when I read this and thought about that are politicians. They've got all the answers. They know how to fix your life if you will just give them power over you. They'll fix it all. That's false. Also, significant others. We can put undue pressure on those who we love, who we care about, and we can expect them to take care of all of life's problems. But the reality is, no matter how much power they have, or how much influence they have, no one can hold back the curse of sin in this life for long. No matter how much they try. When we sinned, God cursed this world. That's why we are praying for things like, broken homes, we're praying for things like broken marriages, we're praying for things like broken bodies, broken spirits. That's the result of a sin-cursed world. And we need to remember that only the Lord can be there for us consistently when things are hard. We're not going to be able to push back the darkness by ourselves for long, and no one else has the power to do that for us either. No one has that power. God is the powerful one we are weak no matter how much power we actually have in this life and lastly verse 14 is an interesting verse it might actually be pretty hard to hear depending on where you are at this point in your life verse 14 says that God gives us the good days and he also gives us the bad days he sends them our way he allows them They all go across his desk. He puts his stamp of approval on all of them. And the reality is that God sends both the good and the bad into our lives for a reason. And we need to understand our limitations. Sometimes we need to be broken down into smaller pieces so that God can build us back up into something bigger, better, and stronger. God wants us to understand, hey, you are nothing without me. And, it, and too many good days inevitably lead us to believe that we do not need God. It always happens. It happened throughout the history of the Israelite people. Every time God gave them blessing upon blessing, they forgot the Lord. They started worshiping Baal. They started worshiping all these other people uh, that were brought in from the, the world around them. They always fell away. And we do the same thing. When life gets too good, we need a reminder that this life is not all there is. We need a reminder that we are weak, broken dust. And that the only place that we can find hope, the only place that we can find lasting peace and lasting comfort is in our relationship with the Lord. And so God will send us hard times so that we will remember that. And it's hard, but we should be grateful for those days. We should pray for some of that so that we understand who we are before the Lord. And so when you get four verses about death and when you see all these different pieces of how your life should be lived if you want to be a wise person, what do you hear out of that? I mean, for each one of you, this probably landed a little different. Each one of you is at a different place. So... Do you have the proper perspective on death? Like Whether that makes you uncomfortable to think about or to talk about, it's a reality that's coming for us all. And the only way that we can be properly comfortable with the idea of death is to have the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. We are all sinful people. We are all bound for death. Condemnation in hell without the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. He took our place on the cross so that He would take God's wrath and so that we wouldn't have to. He has presented us His righteousness as a free gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And He is presenting that to us and saying, If you will just believe and make me your Lord, then you can have this. And in that, if we have made that commitment to the Lord, if we've accepted that gift, we have nothing to fear from death. And we understand it's coming. We live accordingly, but there's no fear. How are you doing in here today? Are you afraid? It's coming for us all. Are you afraid? If you are, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to pray with you. I would love to help open your eyes to the truth of the gospel so that you can live out a life that when you do finally meet the Lord face to face, you would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Secondly, are you a wise person? Do you make good decisions? Are you constantly bumping your head into the same thing over and over and over again because you struggle to learn? Maybe you need to surround yourself with some wise people that will lovingly rebuke you instead of cheering you on as you slam into that fence yet once again. There are many things in the scriptures that talk about wisdom. We're going to read one uh, from Proverbs for our benediction today. But the reality is God designed this world to be a certain way. It follows his nature and his character. And wisdom is realizing that and living accordingly. How are you doing? If you're struggling with that, I'd love to pray with you about that as well. I just want to be here for you. I want to see you grow in your knowledge of the Lord and see how that affects your life. So if you need me, I'm here after the service. You can call me anytime. But in the meantime, let's pray together and we'll head out. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the love that you've given us. Grateful for what Christ has done for us so that we can be restored in relationship with you, so that we can have a proper understanding of death, so that we don't need to be afraid of what the next life looks like for us. And I pray that we would be mindful of the wisdom that you have given us in your word, that we can live our life accordingly, and that even if the world looks at us and laughs, Even if the world doesn't understand what we are pursuing after as we pursue after you, we know that this is right. We know that this is good. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says about it because you have said this is the way that we should be. So make us wise. Help us to see rightly the things of this world. Help us to see rightly our relationship with you. And help us strengthen each other through this wall. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.